Welcome to the audio newsletter for the Northwestern Program in Sound Arts and Industries. I'm Brad West. Seven-time Academy Award winner Gary Rydstrom is one of the titans of movie sound design, with credits like Jurassic Park, Toy Story, Titanic, Saving Private Ryan, Terminator 2, and many, many others. Most recently, he designed the sound for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland. In an earlier episode of our podcast, we spoke with Gary about his work on Star Wars The Force Awakens. In this episode, Gary talks about designing the sound for a movie that doesn't exist. San Francisco's De Young Museum featured an installation called The Companions, an audio-only cinematic experience that guides visitors through a story using immersive and directional sound. Listen as Gary takes us through the creative process behind The Companions, and the power of using audio to tell a story. Take an elevator to go to this tower at the de Young Museum. Right out the door, there's a, a placard that describes this piece. It doesn't really tell you what the story is. It tells you the title, the companions. Imagine some people step off the elevator and uh, they hear a... It might be a little disconcerting. Uh, Anthony Descenza, who's a uh, an artist who's done a lot of uh, really interesting exploratory art about media, came to Skywalker Sound. He came to Skywalker, not to me, and had this idea of producing the sound for a movie that never did, didn't exist. And I heard about it and, and ran up to an office where he was meeting with someone and said, "I want to do this." I couldn't turn that down. That is a, that's a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take what I do on a daily basis and uh, uh, have some extra fun with it. I worked, importantly, with uh, Josh Gold, who was uh, another sound designer at Skywalker Sound. So he and I did this together. We treated it like we would treat any movie, except we kind of, with Anthony's pseudo-script for this, came up with the movie in our head. It had to have, in my mind, a three-act structure so that there was a movement to it. it. didn't feel like a series of random sounds. The idea was to make it sound like a movie. So what does that mean? That means that there are dynamics and shape to the sounds that uh, feel like there's drama, that there's a story going on. And the mood that Anthony wanted from the beginning was kind of a sophisticated paranoia. Something's out there that we don't quite understand and things are affecting the world in ways that uh, don't quite make sense. It's kind of turning things upside down. And we use the Sutro Tower, which is the first thing we look at when we watch this, is the starting point of this. Something's going on. It's transmitting through this large Sutro Tower. And then from then on, you know, you get the sense of, uh, well, it's the companions. Something's with us and we don't quite know what it is. So the sound for the piece starts on one wall, and then as the story shifts, it moves down one of the long walls. I wanted it to be like if people were caught up in this, wow, that's an interesting thing, what am I listening to? Like a Johnny Appleseed, Pied Piper, you know, entice people to move down the wall to watch the continuing story on a third wall facing the Golden Gate Bridge. Part of the story happens there, and then it's a car helicopter chase that moves down the other wall. 
hopefully entices anyone who's interested in this to go back to the beginning, which is looking at Sutro Tower, and that's where the story ends. And to tell you the truth, now that we've done our 20-minute sound piece that reflects this story, I'd I'd love to see it made into a movie. (laughs) All I need is $120 million and uh, make it into a real movie. I think it could be good. Part of what Anthony's idea was originally was what, what do movie soundtracks sound like? What makes them sound like movie soundtracks? What's different about that than other sound So we worked really hard to make it sound like a movie, which meant we treated it like a movie. It was funny when he would do this and we would listen to our work and listen to what Josh had done. We would both still stare up at the screen in in our room where there was nothing on. Because it's funny how if you're thinking film sound, you want to look at something. Eventually, we put up, we took photographs of where this was going to be at the de Young Museum. We took photographs and we put those up. So at least we had that to look at. And what made this location perfect, the the young uh, tower perfect for this piece, it's beautiful vistas of San Francisco that almost feel like looking at a Cinemascope movie. So we took that into account when we did the sound for this, you know, cable car bells and fog horns. It feels like San Francisco. And it works best at the young on a foggy day. So... (laughs) We still have, you know, the audience has something to look at, even though it's not synchronized necessarily to what they're hearing. We kind of accept sound. We don't analyze it, in my experience, the same way we do visuals. Like, uh, you know, Ben Burt used a wire twang for the lasers in Star Wars. You you don't hear it as a wire twang. You hear it as a a laser, a big ocean wave to sound more ominous. You can throw a lion roar into it, and people won't say, hey, that ocean sounds like a lion. You know, in backdraft, I put in all sorts of coyotes and animal sounds into fire. People don't hear it as animals. They hear it as fire with a personality. We could have, uh, you know, done things with traditional kind of lasers or weapons or, uh, you know, flying spacecraft sounds and weird stuff like that. The sounds that we picked and the sounds that I and Josh Gold cut in were more serious. They were kind of twists on electromagnetic field sounds and radio communications, things that are kind of like fluxing in the air and, and causing disturbances. And I had played with, because I wanted to recently, with EMF recordings, so recording sounds of electromagnetic frequencies, you know, things you can pick up with these special microphones. It makes us scared to think that the world that we live in with our cell phones and our computers is full of this stuff, but it is. And that, again, was part of what The Companions was about, this kind of secret, you know, bubbling under the surface stuff happening that we weren't quite aware of, but we were swimming in it. And... Um, I had just gotten an EMF microphone to record. That was exactly the sound we needed for that. I think the moment that I really truly fell in love with movies when I was a young kid, I watched here in Chicago, I watched uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush. The movie affected me, and I thought that's really cool how this story could be so moving and so funny 
with no dialogue. Nothing like discovering something you love that you know, you're only about 80 years out of, uh, out of step with your time, but I, I found it fascinating. My love of film sent me to, got me to interest in going to film school. I went to film school at USC, and the first job offer I got was sound. The way a lot of careers happen, uh, especially in film, is your opportunity leads you. You don't get to uh, plan out your life. And so not only did I get an opportunity in sound, I got probably the greatest opportunity at the greatest place to do sound at the time. A professor of mine who was a professor of George Lucas and had previously recommended Ben Burt to Lucasfilm to do the sound design for Star Wars, they came to him again and said, hey, you got anybody else? So he recommended me to Lucasfilm, and this was 1983, just to have finished the first Star Wars trilogy, and there was no place more magical or, or had higher reputation for sound as well as everything else. So it couldn't have happened at a better time or a better place. The irony of my career is that I, I, I became a sound designer, but I really got into it because of silent films. You know, my favorite part, because, uh, you know, it's all very different. You start out by collecting sounds, you know, finding sounds you have that were perfect for making a library of sounds that you can say these sounds feel right for this movie. And then there's the editing where, you know, you work with a crew and start cutting into the movie. Then you mix. And my favorite thing is the beginning of the mix, pre-mixing. So you take the very first time that you take all your ideas and you put them together and you put them up against the film and you hear them. Part of the reason I like that step is that no music or dialogue is in there yet, so I can get to hear just what we do. And there's a joy to bringing something to life, everything from Foley to ambiences to sound effects, you know, putting your flag on the moon and saying, this is the sound we've created for this world and this movie. And it's kind of the purest moment of, of hearing what we do against the movie. Final mixing is more compromises because you've got to get out of the way of certain things and hand off to music and dialogue and everything else, and that's all part of mixing. A friend of mine made a movie about parsley, the long process of growing it, picking it, packaging it, wholesaling it, selling it, giving it to a restaurant, and it ended with a shot of someone getting their plate of food from a restaurant, taking the parsley and throwing it in the ashtray. So I thought a lot of sound work is you do all this stuff, you chord and you think, and you get to the end, you get to the final mix, and that fader just goes, boom, goes down. And it's, this is actually one of the lessons for uh, people who do sound mixing, and, and most sound mixers don't realize it. It's more about taking things out than about anything else. I think if you talk to a sculptor, they'll tell you that it's about the clay they take out. Musicians will talk about the notes they don't play. I think mixing is, is having the guts and knowing when to take things out. I know that there's a power to sound-only storytelling, and I haven't done it much, aside from the companions, and I wish I had done, you know, radio dramas or even, you know, podcasting. There's a world of sound-only storytelling that I feel like I'm only starting to think about. You can learn more about our program through sound.northwestern.edu or by emailing sound at northwestern.edu. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the audio newsletter of Northwestern University's MA program in Sound Arts and Industries. Today's episode, Sound Only Storytelling with Gary Rydstrom, was produced by Jason Foley, featuring an interview with Gary Rydstrom. 
Our theme is by Brendan Baker, and our podcast is produced by Brad West. Find us on the podcast app of your choice by searching Northwestern Sound to learn about how sound works at Northwestern. Northwestern.